Good morning, everybody. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for having me out this week. The minute I stepped off the plane, I just took a deep breath and felt like I was in a little taste of heaven. <laughs> Having flown here from Cincinnati, Ohio, where I was in the teens when I left this, that, you know, yesterday morning. So uh, always a blessing to be back. And not just because this part of God's creation is beautiful to behold, but that this body of believers is beauty to behold, is a beauty to behold and spend time with and be encouraged by and enjoyed so much being over at Mitch's house last night and conversing with fellow saints and just a joy to be back in your presence again and to have opportunity to talk with you about what God would have us to do in the realm of music worship. And so without further ado, let's dive into our lesson here. So this morning's lesson is called Taking Our Music Worship Seriously. And I want to begin our time together by just asking you all a question. Would you say that most churches take the quality of their preacher's lessons and his delivery, you feel that most churches take that seriously when they, when they hire a preacher. In other words, it's important to a church that their preacher first and foremost teaches the truth and that he delivers God's word in a way that is understandable and in a way that is meaningful. I would add to that that most of us would probably expect that a preacher has some form of training prior to his full, first full-time engagement, whether it be in the realm of higher education or better yet, perhaps a teacher, a preacher training program. All of those things are incredibly helpful to that of a preacher being capable and able to do his best at the pulpit. And so when they partake in these things, they, of course, become skilled at what they do. And so it just stands to reason then, if we see that that's a very important factor of our worship, then isn't our music worship as equally as important? That we make sure our song leaders, that we make sure even our congregation gives their all and is skilled when it comes to the realm of worshiping our Lord, building up one another, creating a venue where when visitors come in, they are in awe of the beauty, both physically and spiritually, of what they hear and they experience in the music worship. In 1 Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 22, it talks about an individual that is in charge of the music worship. His name is Kenaniah. And it says, Kenaniah, the head Levite, was in charge of of the singing. That was his responsibility. Why? Because he was skillful at it. And First Chronicles also says something similar. It says, all of these men, and it's speaking about 14 sons who were under the supervision of their father by the name of Haman for the music of the temple of the Lord. And again, we're talking Old Testament worship here. And it says they were in charge of the cymbals, the lyres, the harps for the ministry at the house of God. Asaph, Jedithan, and Haman were under the supervision of the king. And to my knowledge and studying about Haman, he worked for both David and Solomon. And in verse 7, it says, along with their relatives, so those 14 sons and Haman and others, all of them were trained and skilled in music for the Lord. Those involved in leading the music worship were skillful 
and they had been trained. I am always encouraged by a congregation that takes their music worship seriously. And the very fact that we're having this meeting this week says that the Monta Vista Church of Christ takes their music worship seriously. When I sat there this morning singing with you, and I hope nobody thinks it's weird when I stop singing for a few moments, but I like to stop singing for a few moments just to engage or to feel the sense of the room. And I heard all four parts. I heard people singing from the heart. I heard the song leader singing out full and powerful and moving. This church loves their music worship, and that touches my heart. We need all of the churches of Christ to love and engage in music worship as much as you guys do. It's a beautiful thing what we see going on here. So back in 1996, I had just finished up my degree at ASU. If some of you don't know, I used to live here for a few years. I used to attend here way back when. And uh, I just finished my degree at ASU and got a job teaching at FC as their choral director. And so we moved there and we started attending the North Livingston Church of Christ. That's where Buddy Payne was preaching at the time. And um, there was a gentleman in the back. He always stood at the back trying to engage visitors and, and get to know them, reach out to them, make a connection with them. And I, I always, uh, I thought that was a very honorable thing that he did, that he, he, he was very evangelistic and just wanted to make sure he made people feel welcome. And so he came up to me one day and he said, uh, he said, hey, Scott, I want to ask you a question. He said, so you see me standing back here welcoming visitors and stuff and talking to them as they're leaving the worship service. He said, I always, I always try to ask them, was there anything in the service that you thought was really engaging, something that really touched you, something that was special? And he said, uh, he said, what do you think they respond with when I ask them that question? And, you know, I just very quickly said, well, you know, maybe a great, a great sermon, a good message. And he goes, there's a handful that mentioned that, that they loved the lesson today. But he said, most of them, the majority of them immediately look at me and shake their head and they say, that singing was awesome. I've never heard anything like that in other churches I go to. They say other churches I go to, the organ drowns everybody out or the praise band, it's like a separate entity. They're up praising God their way and we're cut off because nobody can hear us trying to sing because we're competing with all of this amplified sound. And, but we come here you can hear the words. You can sense and feel the people's hearts. We love the good old-fashioned, just straight-up a cappella singing. And he said there were multiple times where visitors would come back expressly for that purpose to experience that again. That's what drew them in. That's what they loved most about this service. So I'm going to tell you this, and I'll tell you this again later on. Don't ever feel bad or think we can't compete in a sense, and I use that word very loosely, but with these large praise bands, with these big like, you know, Christian rock bands of sorts, we can compete with them because the way God designed music is the most beautiful. In my humble opinion, and I, and I believe it's, of course, what the Bible teaches, but a cappella music is gorgeous. It is beautiful, and it's not buried by instrumentation. It's clear, crystal clear, and the wording is so much easier to understand, and that's such a crucial part of hymns, is hearing what's being said, because those words are spiritual. So my family in Christ up there in Florida at North Livingston, I loved how they, like you, took their music worship seriously. 
Not only were their song leaders well-trained, but their whole congregation got heavily involved. They took it upon themselves to learn new songs every month. You know, they'd come in, they'd sit down, they'd work through the parts, they'd, they'd have, you know, a few strong basses that could really help others learn that part by ear, if not by sight with the music in front of them as well, and altos and tenors and sopranos alike. So it was the whole package. And again, I believe that if we are to portray the beauty of the entire song, we ought to learn all those four parts. It's what the composer intended. Those harmonies are gorgeous. The melody's beautiful too, but I think it's very important that churches engage the entire piece. I'm not saying in any way, shape, or form that it's sinful to sing, you know, monophonic and just the melody by itself, but it's all the more gorgeous when those harmonies are balanced with the melody. Now, what I'm about to say might sound a little off kilter, but I want you to hang in there with me through this point. You know, in my lifetime, and you know, I'm sure in your lifetime as well, you have watched churches over the years change their, you know, their behavior. Change from a church that draws people in by the love of God's word, the love of Christ, the forgiveness of sins, draws them in because it's a beautiful family experience where people help each other through the hardships. I'm not saying that doesn't still go on. It does still go on. It goes on in churches of Christ. It goes on in a lot of denominations and so forth. But what saddens me is that a lot of this kind of thing is starting to go on now. I shouldn't say starting. It's been going on for quite a while. There are churches that will do just about anything to create large numbers of members. Back in Cincinnati a few years ago, I remember uh, a radio or a TV station coming on a commercial, there was a minister in town that was offering anybody $200 if they would come and attend their Christmas worship service. Any individual comes in as a visitor, $200 on the spot cash. How awkward, how odd is that? We have witnessed churches that host huge carnivals. You know, they serve alcohol, they have huge carnival rides, you can play bingo. There are churches that put forth millions of dollars to create these elaborate gymnasiums. They have these super high-tech fellowship halls for young people with all kinds of video arcade stuff. That's pretty impressive. But is that what God wants us to use to draw people in to his family? And then when it comes to the realm of music, some people would say, how can we compete with these professional level paid musicians Incredible drummers, incredible electronic, you know, electric guitarists and bass players and keyboardists and a whole host of gifted frontman singers and people singing all the backup vocals and stuff. I mean, it's, it's quite an elaborate show. It's powerful. It's moving. It's professional. How, how can we compete with that? <laughs> when, I, when I was over at Mitch's house last night, he told us an interesting story about uh, an individual that had come to church after quite some time that had been invited by a wonderful brother that had reached out to him about a year prior. And when he attended, he noticed that the church didn't have a piano and he expressed interest in helping them afford one because he figured maybe they couldn't. <laughs> I've heard that one before. You know, where's the organ or where's the piano? You know, we can help you guys purchase one of those if you like. But we don't have those and it's not because we can't afford it. There are some churches of Christ that are very well-to-do. It's not about the money. It's about the authority. It's about what we find in the scriptures. 
That's why we don't do those types of things. But we do have the authority to sing. We do have the authority to teach and admonish one another in song. That's what God says we can do. And we can do it to the very best of our ability. Again, Colossians 3 and 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How do you do that? Teach and admonish one another. You ever find that when you, when you sing a song and it has spiritual words in it, it just feels a little deeper. It's not that a preacher can't read those words from the Bible and move you just with the inflection of his voice and his emotion, but there's something about music that elevates it to a level, or shall we say takes it even deeper than just the words alone. Hence the reason God created music and made it one of the acts of worship. But again, it says, let it dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's how we can move people. That's how we can motivate people. That's how we can draw people in to the fold of God. But again, someone might ask, yeah, but man, I just don't really know how we can compete with those professional contemporary groups. I'm going to tell you how we can do it. I got to say it again, and I'm going to say it again and again. Acapella music is awesome. It is beautiful. It is amazing. I remember a few years ago, my wife and I were looking for something good to watch on TV when we got home from work. That's getting harder and harder to do these days, isn't it? Well, Nick Lachey, who's a local of Cincinnati, uh, came on and uh, he was the host of a show. Um, I think it was called The Sing-Off. Did any of you see that? It was a cappella groups of anywhere from four or five singers on up to 20 or 30. They would perform contemporary arrangements of rock songs, pop songs, country songs. They were amazing. And they didn't need any instruments to be amazing. And sadly, it was only on for a couple years. But you know who was born out of that? Pentatonics. How many people have heard of pentatonics? Do they use instruments? Nope. And yet they're as popular as almost any rock or pop band that's out there right now. And they stand and they sing. And yes, they have a guy or two that's really gifted at doing the beatbox stuff, which is pretty cool. But nonetheless, I'm telling you, if you've not seen it yet, get on YouTube and watch their recent arrangement of Star Spangled Banner. It'll knock your socks off. You know, a, a marching band sounds amazing playing that. A soloist sounds great when they do that. But these voices in harmony, do, harmony doing that, it's like all the talk of the town. They were better than the football games going on through the championship, at least in my humble opinion, when I'm a music person. so. <laughs> but anyway, check it out. It's, it's just amazing. Crowds went nuts hearing them sing that song. So again, I want you to be encouraged by that and know that the beauty of your hearts and your voices is indeed enough to teach to admonish, to encourage, and to inspire people. Again, how do we compete with these more contemporary praise groups? The second thing that we need to do, folks, is we need to feel comfortable engaging the more contemporary song literature that's out there, both those that are written by brothers and sisters in Christ and those outside of the church, per se, but are still biblical songs. This is just a recent list of top 10 Christian songs you'd hear on the Christian radio stations. And I have witnessed brothers and sisters who are gifted composers and arrangers taking pieces like these 
and converting them into four-part harmony a cappella pieces, and they sound great. And many times you see, like in some of the Christian camps for kids, they engage these kind of songs, and the kids come home singing them and loving them and wishing that they could sing those in church. Now, you and I both know we witness in, again, the denominational world all around us, we're seeing the sad story of congregations feeling like they have to offer a service for the older people and then separate a service for the younger people. The older people get to do all the old hymns and stuff they like, and the younger people get to do the more contemporary stuff they like. I don't think that's right. I believe we should be together as a family, every age. And we have the decency and humility and love and care and concern for one another that we do a collaboration of both. We got oldies but goodies hymns going on for the older generation that loves those and grew up with them. And we've got the more contemporary stuff going on for the young kids that have learned those at camps and stuff and they love those. And we do a variety of both so that all can feel a sense of encouragement engaging in a song that they love and is near and dear to their heart. That just makes sense. That's what we ought to do. So we need to be willing to participate in you know, all the different types of music and yes, engage this contemporary stuff. And I'm going to say this too, and I don't see this as a big issue here, but, but I do see this in a lot of churches. Another thing that I think is crucial um, is that we as a congregation also are willing to learn these new songs, and not only learn the new song's melody, but learn the new song's parts. It's easy to sing the melody. You hear a person sing it once or twice and it locks in and you've got it. Some people are like, that's enough. I, I don't need to contribute any more than that. Yes, you do. In my humble opinion, and that's all it is, take it for what it's worth. But the composer took the time to write those parts. They are beautifully sung. And if you have a lower male's voice, maybe you're not the strongest musician. That's okay. There almost always is at least one strong bass in a church. Sit next to him. Learn that part. Alto, same story. Tenor, same story. So that again, you have the full-fledged wall of sound coming from what this composer designed in their heart and mind to be the best rendition of this given song. It's the best way to present the piece. And again, when people come in and they hear, they hear those gorgeous harmonies sounding together you know, with that melody, they just can't help to be won over to that. I don't like the word tool, but it is a marvelous tool to engage people and make them feel a deep sense of worship when they're in a congregation that experiences and practices that kind of singing. Now, I know that we have talked at length about what we might refer to as the physical side of worship, but it is obviously imperative that we focus a lot of attention on the spiritual side of worship as well. And some would deem the spiritual side more important than the physical. I believe that they're both necessary uh, to you know, create a, a beautiful experience in, in worship. But we need to focus a lot of attention on the spiritual because people sense that when they come in the room. If you ever go to um, a live show, and I, this isn't exactly the same thing, but those of you that like theater and that you go to a Broadway musical or you go to an opera or a, a theatrical performance or something like that, the performers will always tell you, man, the audience was great tonight. And when they say the audience was great tonight, what they're saying is there was like an aura in the room. They were paying attention to what we were doing by their 
clapping and applauding and laughing and saying, yeah, it empowered us to feel all the more to really emotionally get into our role, our character, our song. When visitors come in here and they see you closing your eyes, I'm not saying there's a specific way to show your emotions, but when they see your facial expressions, your body language, when they see you really honing in on those words, when they see you really trying to sing with all of your heart, that means something to them. They sense that. They feel that. They start getting those chills up and down the spine. The hairs start to stand up. And they're like, I love this. These people love the Lord. I can feel it. That's the kind of people we need to be. Don't be afraid to emote. I think sometimes people think that's awkward or weird because they're very logically minded. They're kind of like data on Star Trek. They have a hard time engaging that side of themselves. Let loose. Let loose and engage that emotional side. And you will touch people's hearts. We need both sides, don't we? God designed us with, designed us with both emotion and logic. It needs to be balanced. That's why Paul talked about singing you know, with the spirit and singing with the mind. And I know in context that has a more focus, but nonetheless, that's the way we've got to be. We've got to have that balance. The beauty of our singing is, unlike most other acts of worship, singing is something we are all very physically and emotionally and spiritually engaged in together. When the preacher gets up to preach, he preaches. He's very active. We are partially active. Obviously, we are listening. When someone gets up to lead a prayer, yes, we are listening. We are engaging. But again, the, the prayer leader is the most active. Probably the most akin to singing is maybe the Lord's Supper because everybody is doing a physical act, you know, taking in the emblems, thinking about why they're doing it and so forth. But singing is so consistently physically active for everybody. Everybody plays a vital role in the singing. You know, I conduct a lot of choirs and I can't tell you how many times a choir member says, hey, I got this going on. I'm not going to be at practice tonight, but you don't really need me. I don't really help out that much. I'm like, yes, you do. Because if three or four of you leave, I hear a big hole in the group. We all play our part when we sing. And so we all need to be active. And that brings up another point. There are some people that say, you know, I can't match pitch very well, so I just don't sing at all. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says if you can't match pitch, you don't need to sing. Do you? I've not read that anywhere. So you don't all have to sound like Pavarotti. But what you can do and again, maybe it's just you're, you're afraid that when you're singing off pitch, you're going to get people's attention, this and that. Just sing in an area vocally where you maybe feel comfortable, like maybe a little on the lower side per se. doesn't matter. But sing. Read those words. Get into it. Be a part of what's going on. There's something about the physical act engaging the spiritual act and the mind that is crucial in singing. And again, it's, it's just a beautiful, unified thing where we do it all together. Ephesians 5 and verses 18 and the latter half of that verse going into 20, it says, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Hebrews 13 and 15, it says, Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. That's what we're supposed to be about, folks. 
that beautiful unified spirit. And another beauty of this unification in singing is it's a wonderful way to teach and admonish one another. And when I talk about teaching, think about your children, songs they've learned. Think about songs you learned growing up as a teaching tool. How many of you have the books of the Bible memorized because of a song you were taught in Bible school back in the day? You can go back to that song and you still do, don't you? When you're trying to say all the names of the Bible in a row, you go back to that song and it helps you remember. We're going we're gonna, to uh, do a little test here. Uh, I'm going to pick a song. Right now we're just going to do one verse and this will kind of bring our time together for this portion of the worship service to a close. But uh, I want you to sing Psalm 19 with me. We're just going to do the first verse and again, a teaching tool. This is the beauty of music that because of this song, you probably have this passage of Scripture now memorized. And I love that about Scripture, that it does that for us. So again, let's take a look at Psalm 19. Just the first verse, you ready? Here we go. Let's see who remembers it, but don't look at any music. Don't pick up your hymnals. And here we sing. The love the Lord is perfect, Converting the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple, more to be desired are they than gold. Yea, then much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Anybody have any trouble with the words? Isn't that beautiful? How music engages that deeper part of us and allows us to learn. So again, a wonderful, wonderful tool to draw people in, to help them draw closer to the Lord. Music worship is incredibly important, and I appreciate you for taking it seriously. Would you bow with me in prayer at this time? Father, we want to thank you for music. It is such a beautiful, beautiful part of the Christian experience. It reaches incredibly deep into our realm of emotions and help us, uh, helps us to really engage a, a depth of love for you almost like nothing else. We pray, dear Father, that just like we practice devotionals in the morning by reading scriptures and we pray to you, that we would also make the practice, Lord, of listening to sacred music, of singing along with it each day, because it too is a beautiful and powerful element to draw closer to you. And Father, your spiritual music is so amazing that many times when we listen to it, when we sing it, committing sin is the furthest thing from our mind because engaging the spirit in song is so incredibly spiritual and we need to be a part of that every day, Lord. And we pray, Father, that we use the power of music in our lives to take on the temptation of the devil and to draw closer to you every day. 
Father, thank you so much for this time that we've been together. I pray that everyone here has been uplifted and encouraged and given motivation to want to take this part of worship more seriously. We love you, Lord, and we pray you watch over us and bless all that we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. I believe at this time you all do offer an invitation. It could be that there's someone here that has not yet obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, as a person that lived a very worldly life up until his early 20s, there is no better way to live than in Christ Jesus. Everything that happened after I obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, everything in my life improved. Relationships with people improved. My work ethic improved. Uh, my career improved. Everything you do just gets better when God is on your side. And you feel that sense of inner peace too, that even when things do go wrong, because they do, they do for all of us. There is a peace in you that surpasses all understanding because you know that no matter what happens in the end, even if your life comes to an end, you know that there's a better life beyond because you've been immersed in that watery grave. You have been born again. It is a beautiful thing to be in the Lord. We would encourage anybody at this time that has not yet been immersed in that watery grave for the remission of their sins to come forward and let your need be known. Maybe you're a brother or sister in Christ and you've just been struggling with your faith and you could really use the prayers of this family to get back on that narrow path again. If this body of believers can assist you in any way, why don't you come forward and let us know your needs as we stand and sing.